so be ready. <laughs> Good morning. I hope you all had a great Christmas. It was wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to be uh, in your home church, but to realize that this is no longer my home anymore. God has called me to do such a work, and um, I'm so honored and privileged to have the opportunity to live and work in Tijuana, Mexico. And this morning, I know that many of you are probably anticipating a full report of all the amazing things that God is doing there. But I have something more profound with you um, to share with you this morning. I want to first thank this church because you have been an incredible pillar to me of strength and of love and of support. And so many of you as individuals have come alongside my ministry. And there's nothing more beautiful that we can do together than to fulfill the Great Commission. And so many of you have captured that vision. And so I thank you. My message today for you, I hope, is not just another message. But I hope that we can take this and it will challenge you into a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living. Not that we're about to start a new year and make new resolutions, but something that can completely change our life. I need to speak directly to you, and I hope that you don't mind that I speak from a heart of a missionary. There's a profound need as a church, as the corporate church of Christ, to see the world as it really is, to relearn how to see the world. And I feel that we need to even have a deeper examination of our hearts about what we're going to do about the world. We're, we're all looking at the news and watching the events unfold, and it's not just about third world countries and the tragedies there, but it's here in our nation. We have to make some decisions about our response because God is moving at a rapid pace among the nations. And sometimes I feel like I'm in a tornado on the mission field because there's such a spirit that, that it's of urgency going on. We have to move in compassion, but not just compassion to feel empathy, but real compassion brings alleviation. And I find that so many times all these world events and things in the world take our breath away, and they overwhelm us, and our heart faints. And when I do these prayer walks, I'm seeing children being trafficked. I'm seeing the people that are buying, and I see 200 prostitutes in front of me, and there's this question that's going on inside of me all the time. is why don't I see 200 Christians on the street? Why don't I see people running down the street proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ? If the gospel has been entrusted to us, what are we doing with the gospel? We are in dark times, but my, my urgent message to you is that it's going to get darker. And we are not ready for this. We are not ready. And respectfully saying, we are clueless. There's something that I want to deposit into you 
not just preach a message, but deposit into your heart that it would sow. Because when those times get darker, you're going to need it. And it's something that the church needs now more than ever, more than Bible studies, more than prayer groups, more than fellowship, more than anything. And it's courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. But courage is a state of mind and a will and a decision that enables us to face danger, to face difficulty, to face fear. And we need this courage. Today we're going to look in the book of Esther to see this woman's life and the courage that she used and to understand that courage is something that needs to be chosen. Courage is not just something that's going to fall on you. Courage is something that needs to be chosen. And we need to take it from God because God is offering it to us. So this morning, I want everyone to turn to the book of Esther in chapter 4. And I would really prefer if everyone had a physical Bible in their hand. I know that everyone uses iPods these days, but no, I'm nothing against that. But there's just something about having a sword in your hand. There's just something about having the real word of God in your hand. So to set up to the book of Esther for the sake of time, you're going to have to do homework later. But the entire city of Susa was in complete chaos because an edict had gone forth, and it was to destroy and completely kill the people of the Jew Jewish nation. There was fasting and wailing and praying in utter chaos. And Esther was already positioned as a queen, and she was a Jew, but that was unknown to so many. Her identity of being a Jew was concealed. Mordecai, the Jewish man that raised her, sends a message to her that her people are going to be killed. Mordecai tells Esther, you have to go to the king and plead with the king for mercy on behalf of her people to be saved. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 11. This is what Esther says back to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the, the king holds the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king for 30 days. And then they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And Mordecai then told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your king and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, although it is against the law, and if I perish... I perish. This passage of scripture has changed so much of my life because 
this is the worst possible time for Esther. God so often calls us to greatness at the worst possible times in our lives. She hasn't been summoned by her husband, who's the king, and now she has to approach him. And when she's approaching him, she is approaching death. The only exception is that her life would be spared, and we have to understand that difference. This was not that maybe she would be killed. This is that maybe her life would be spared. Do you see the difference? God so often calls us to greatness in times that are so inconvenient. We're in the middle of crisis. We have our issues going on in our life. The things he's calling us to is beyond our capabilities, and that's exactly how he wants it because he wants to show his glory to us. And what we conclude that because it's inconvenient that it must not be God. I've been kind of following you online, and I know you've been studying out of the book of Amos. And when Pastor Tim preached out of that, he said something so profound, and he said, it will be inconvenient for us to serve God, but you will be all that you were meant to be. And that's what I want for us. That's why I'm preaching this message to you this morning, because I want you to be all that God wants you to be. Verse 14, that verse that we so often love and the most common, that who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. We get so excited about that verse because we see God's orchestrating and we see the sense of purpose that Esther must have and we apply that to our own lives. But God's will does not just manifest and come forth because it does. There's such this belief in our society and even from in our doctrine that says, well, if it's meant to be, it will be. And that is not the Word of God. The Word of God is about choice and obedience. It's not just going to happen because it happens. And we have to stop living our lives so casually. That's not living an intentional life. That's not living deliberately. That's just living irresponsibly. God prevents a plan to us all the time. And don't discount for a minute that Esther had a choice. Esther had a choice to make up her mind what she was going to do. Even though God had positioned her, she didn't have to go forth. In fact, Mordecai even said to her, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come from another place. That's so much of what we do. We always are, are put in these positions by God and, and our heart fails and, and we, we say, God, send someone else. And we keep silent. But we're not living in a time right now where we have time to keep silent. The state of the world is, tip, is really how it is because so many people have kept silent and tolerated I want you just to consider in those moments that might come to you in the future where God positions you. And we're thinking, maybe God can just send someone else. Maybe I just really don't have to take action. Consider for a minute when Mordecai told her that her and her people were, would be destroyed if she kept silent. Consider the damage that, that would have taken place if she wouldn't have made the choice 
See, God will always redeem. And we're always falling back on God's graces, thank God, but we take advantage of the sovereignty of God to use it as an excuse to not complete what he's assigned us to do. And we can no longer do this. God will redeem, but it will come with a great price. And Esther did not want to take that chance. Esther did not want to pay that price. In verse 16, to me, this is the most important scripture in the book of Esther. When she says, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I mean, look at this woman's life. In five verses, she goes from just being the queen to saying, if I die, I die. I mean, five verses. What a dramatic shift, an act of surrender in one decision that could change the whole course of her life and history. One decision. And that's what I, I want to ask you this morning is about your choices because we can be one decision away from changing history. I want to understand how she got to that point of self-preservation, self-protection, to just suddenly making a decision where nothing else mattered and having brave determination to say, if I perish, I perish. I mean, who has that? I believe that we have this unquenchable yearning inside of us to make our lives really matter. I mean, really matter in these profound, significant ways. And the only satisfaction after our relationship with Christ is pursuing what is significant to God. And my suggestion to you is that we've aimed too low. Many of us are walking our Christian lives and we're restless, we're unhappy, Because we don't let the real gospel live in our hearts. This gospel was written for our heart. So then we can take it to other hearts. These are questions I'm presenting you this morning that I've had to ask myself. And I ask you these with so much love this morning. But when you look at your life, is your life heading in the direction you want it to go? Ask yourself that this morning. I'm not talking about circumstances, but your life. If you were just to write five sentences for your life, what is it going to say? Are you going to be satisfied with that? See, 2 Corinthians 3.2 says that we're living epistles. And if we're the very letter, see, I want to get to the end of my life where I've lived in a way where I can look back and I say, that was dreamed. God dreamed that. God used someone so small as me to accomplish something. I want the letter of my life to be written with so much honor and passion for Jesus. So what is the letter, the epistle of your life going to say? Look at Esther. I have trained myself in, because of what I do, to read my Bible in the context of social justice. So I don't just read it in salvation and and redemptive ways, but I look at Esther's life, and she was an orphan child. She lost both of her parents, 
And yes, someone took her in as her own. But this is a woman that didn't come from the perfect home life. As, as the queen, she was chosen of many because of her beauty. And as a wife and as queen, she could only talk to her husband when she was summoned. It doesn't sound to me like those are dreams that came true for her. Maybe that's what some of us feel like. Maybe we, we look at our lives and we feel insignificant and we feel unimportant. And now we're placed in this kingdom. But I'm here to say to you that God does have something marvelous for you, that you are today's Esther. She is my hope for the children that I'm serving. They come from little or nothing, and they're living in the most horrible situations that you and I can't dream of. And I look at her as an orphan child, and I say, God, I hope that my kids are going to mount up like her and change the course of their city, of their country, of the nations. So I started to think, why is it that I don't see the church on the street? Why is it that we're unhappy and restless? What is it that prevents us from completing our destiny? And I just wrestled so much even with myself to find that our faith and our trust in our Savior is so conditional. I want to discuss and examine three things with you this morning so we can wrestle with these in our heart and, and we can be set free so we can fully live the way that God wants us to live. That Bible that you have in your hands, I want you to hold that in your hands. I want to ask you, do you believe that this word is true? I know many of you personally, and I know that many of you have gone to seminary, and you have much more biblical education than me. That you, you've, you've, you have such a um, knowledge of the word, but, I mean, do you really believe that this is true? See, I would like to suggest that in many cases we do not. In 1859, there was a, an essay written by John Stuart Mills, and he was trying to explain the process by which words lose their meaning. And he casually offered up Christians as the best example of this. He said that Christians seem to have the amazing ability to say the most wonderful things without actually believing them. He used scriptures and common phrases, and I know you know these well. Blessed are the poor and humble. It's better to give than to receive. Rejoice in your sufferings. Bless those that persecute you. I mean, do we believe that? He offered up the question is how differently would Christians be living their life if we really believed that that's true? We need to know that this is true and live as it is. And I found this year that I still have gray area in my heart. See, I had to work with a little girl this year, a seven-year-old little girl named Juliana. And Juliana, she's a street child, and her parents are, are drug addicts. And she has a horrible case of neglect. And I had to walk her home in what 
I dreaded the worst, and it was probably the worst day of ministry for me. Because what she called home was the largest and most treacherous hotel that you can buy drugs at on the streets of Tijuana. And when she told me she lived there, I just lost my breath, and I thought, how am I going to leave this child in this hotel? I felt like I was putting in her into the den of uh, lions. And we went, and her parents were there, and, and I had to leave. I, I don't have responsibility to take this child, and we couldn't involve the authorities at the time. And I had 30 seconds to tell her anything that mattered. And I just stooped down, and I just said, do you believe that, that God is always with you? Do you know that you are never, ever alone? And she looked up at me, and when her eyes met me, I, it's like this glimmer went on, and she said, yes, I do. So matter of fact, the sure fact that the word of God that I was telling her, she believed. And I was the one running from the place going, God, please don't leave her. I was the one going, do I really believe this? Because if I believe that this word is true, then aren't I going to believe, as Psalm 27 says, that though her mother and father forsake her, that the Lord receives her. And even though it's dark outside, aren't I going to believe that the, the dark is light to God? Aren't I going to believe that the Lord will never forsake her? And I had to make a choice in that moment to believe, no matter what I was looking at, that this word was true because if I'm not believing this word, then I'm not believing Jesus because he is the word. Look, I've seen a video this year of, of Christians in South Africa, and they're being persecuted. And they're in a church service, and another religious group is coming in, and they're throwing bombs in the church. And as the Christians are running out, they're, they're being martyred and just being shot down. And the people that are surviving this are picking up the bodies covered in blood. And they're saying, greater is he who lives in me than he that lives in the world. And I thought, what if it was us? I mean, are we going to be able to stand on this word? And the greater question is, are we going to be willing? Because Jesus talks about a great falling away, and I want to know for us, are we going to be found faithful? We need to know this because we don't have time to figure it out when that day and hour comes. We need to know now. Turn with me to Matthew 16. We're going to pick up on verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world 
and lose his own soul. Such a divine paradox. The true gospel is using words that we don't like to hear. But the true gospel uses words like suffer, deny, count the cost, carry your cross, dying to self. That's the gospel. But it's not one that's being preached very often. And it's not one that's comfortable for us because then we have to pay. Before we follow Jesus on this risky path, we always want to know how much it's going to cost us. We want to know what our life is going to be like then. We think we want comfort. We think we want security. We think we want control and power over our circumstances. We think we want success to look good among our peers. But if we had this certainty, then Jesus could never make us brave. We would just forfeit the greater things that he calls us to do in his power. That's not faith, and it's not courage. I want to ask you, how much do you love what you have in your possession? What are you willing to lose? I mean, what if God asked you to give up everything you have? The house that you love? The nice car that you drive? The salary of secure provision? I know that we are a blessed people, and I believe that God wants us to be blessed. But let us not mistake Gluttony for blessing. I learned this year some things about global missions that grieved me for my own people. Because I found that as evangelical Christians, we are spending $545 million on Christian causes a year. It's also the same amount of money that we spend on Christmas. And that sounds like a big number. It sounds generous. But when you break it down, it means the average American Christian only spends a penny a day on global missions. It means that we as North Americans spend more on dog food than on completing the Great Commission. And it just brought me to this place to ask what is really important to us. I mean, if that is the proof before God that we care about the world, that we care about the Great Commission, we need to readjust, to reevaluate, to consider maybe that what we want, what we think we want, really isn't what we want. We are fooling ourselves if we think that we're going to stand for this gospel in times of tribulation, persecution, and in the last days if we cannot give up our possessions, if we cannot deny ourselves, 
if we cannot lose our life in that way, what we really want is a life of faith and adventure and miracles and a deep knowledge of Jesus. Isn't that what we really want? And Jesus invites us to have what we really desire, a life that transforms through love. I heard about a story of two missionaries that all their life, they focused on one grand purpose, to save souls, to preach the gospel. And well into their 80s, they were in an accident and actually went off a cliff and they died. And people said, what a tragedy this was. But let me tell you, missionaries dying in the middle of fulfilling the Great Commission is not a tragedy. They spent their whole entire life focused on one idea. The tragedy is that we don't live as Christ wants us to, that we're wasting resources, wasting our time, and then we're really just wasting our life. I mean, all the disciples, they were men full of faith and boldness, and almost all of them were martyred. I mean, even today, Christians are being martyred for their faith one every five minutes. Our, our death, it's not the destination. And I don't, I don't say this lightly, but I say this to be so vulnerable in front of you. To, to say in, in times to come, we have to know that if God ever would position us to die a death that would demand courage, that it is going to be a beautiful part of our destiny story. Because when we follow Jesus, our natural bodies die, but our lives never end. We live eternally. The epistle of our lives continues to be written. Do you understand that? It's a beautiful love story to live and die the way that Jesus live and, lived and died for us. You don't have to die a martyr's death physically to live that love story now. You can live it now by dying to your flesh, by dying to yourself, by sacrificing, by carrying your cross. This kind of living, though, is one that doesn't make us feel safe. It causes us to face our fears and to give up our control. And more times than not, though, and you look in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't make situations safer, though. He makes people braver. But we are afraid. So I want to ask you, what do you want to be? Do you want to be safe or do you want to be brave? Because you can't do both. You have to make a choice. Do you want to be safe, or do you want to be brave? See, I found that in our lives, we're so afraid of many things already in our personal lives, and we're not even trying to rescue and assist the world and its issues and its problems, and that scares us all the more. Because if we're going to be the light to the world, then that means that it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be scary and frustrating and exhausting. And it's going to be out of our control. But the boundary 
of our range of action is determined by those ultimate fears and what we're believing. And we have to break that boundary so that we can live in freedom. Look at the lives of the disciples. I just wonder when I read the Gospels and the stories of all these things that Jesus did, when did the disciples look at each other and, and know that this might be scary? When did the disciples look at each other and say, hey, we're going to need some courage for this? I mean, the rejection, the miracles, the healings, all these things that they've never witnessed in their life before, they are now called to do. When did they realize that they needed courage? I mean, in Mexico, I have to choose to be brave. Moving there, I discovered things that I didn't even know I could be afraid of. But when you face fear, you become fearless because those fears no longer have a hold on you. But many of us, I believe this morning, knowing that so many of you here personally, that so many of us are scared and that we can even protect ourselves right out of our calling. We are the biggest obstacle in the achievement of walking out what God has called us to do. Esther had to overcome herself to do what God had positioned her to do. Herself. The Bible says that when she made that choice, that she fasted, she prayed, she put on her royal robes, and she stood in the king's palace. She had to overcome herself. It's because of her courage, the obedience, and a service of love. That golden scepter was extended to her. And the whole course of history was changed. Her life was spared and the lives of the Jews. So what are we afraid of? I know that this is vulnerable, but what are we afraid of? So most of what we fear never happens anyway. When we're in Christ, Satan has no authority over us. And I believe in taking authority and praying against the spirit of fear and all of those things that we're taught. But we also have to face our fears because if we don't, the enemy is going to threaten it over and over and over. So this morning, I want to construct a sentence with you in the same construction of if I perish, I perish. I want you to Write this down, and don't fill in the blanks now. But it's going to say, if blank, what you're afraid of is going to be the first blank. Then blank. The second blank is going to be how you would respond most frequently in your natural man. So if blank, then blank. If what you're afraid of were to come upon you, how do you think you would respond in your natural man. Every one of us is going to look different. For some of us, it'll be harder, depending on the fears. So if this, then I don't know how I would survive. If, if that happened, I don't know if I would ever laugh again. I, I don't know if I would ever be the same again. 
That's so often how we respond. But let me explain to you. We're praying in a way that says, God, I am going to trust you that, to believe that that thing I fear is never going to happen to me. But I want to tell you this is not good enough. Because if we are telling God, I'm going to believe you, that that thing I fear is never going to happen, then that's conditional faith. That's telling God that he's only good and I'm only going to trust you if you do what I say. We have to come to a place to face the fear and fill that last blank in with faith. Because if we're praying the other way, it only makes us negotiators and beggars before God. It does not make us secure children in Christ. We are never going to be victorious believing the other way. We have to have this critical breakthrough in our heart. Because there are going to be things in our lives that we don't understand. And the, the, the tide is turning in the world, and it's going to get harder. We have to come to a place where we're going to say, if this, then I will trust you. When I don't understand, I will choose you. We have to come to a place to know, if this, then God is going to be sufficient for me. If this, God is going to do something monumental in my life. If you fill it in any other way, you will live in it. You will live in the fear. You will not win. You have to fill in that blank with faith. What is it going to be for you? To live without fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Maybe we just don't know how much he loves us. What do you think is the most common command in the Bible? Spoken more than God, more from, from Jesus, from the apostles, from prophets, from angels. What do you think the most common command is in the Bible? Be holy, for I'm holy. Be good. Do not sin. Don't be immoral. The most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. Do not be afraid. Take courage. Isaiah 53 said, I've called you by name. You are mine. We are secure children in the beloved. Through the rivers and the fires, we're not going to be overwhelmed. We're not going to be consumed. It doesn't mean that we're not going to feel afraid. Don't misunderstand. You may feel afraid, but God is saying, I am with you. I am with you. Take courage. Do not be afraid. I'm sure Esther thought all of those things, but in the face of death, that one decision changed the whole course of history, and that is what we're called to, to take courage, to not be afraid. Let's be sure to write the epistles of our lives the way we want them read in the end. 
to be brave, to live the gospel as it was true, because it is, to be brave and choose to lose our life, to count everything as loss, to be brave, to face our fears with unconditional trust in a God who loves us, to take courage this morning, to make choices that have eternal value, to walk in obedience to your destiny, because you are in a royal position for such a time as this. Let's pray this morning.